Good morning. So glad that you guys have joined us. Uh, welcome online. We're so glad that you joined us too. Uh, would you stand with me as we begin our time of worship? We're going to start here uh, in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Read this with me. Let them praise the Lord, uh, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for all the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. God, uh, we come before you this morning uh, with one goal, and that is to glorify uh, your name. We um, have nothing to offer you. We have only but ourselves. And this morning, we lay it at your feet as a sacrifice of praise and worship to your great name. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
worship him. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat here for just a moment. Uh, good morning and welcome to Cross Community. Uh, if you're here today for the first time as our guest, my name is Taylor Burgess. I serve here at Cross uh, as lead pastor, and we are very glad to have you here worshiping with us during these very interesting times. Uh, this is uh, the worship gathering that we record for those who are going to watch online later. So good uh, afternoon now to all of you who are going to be watching this um, later today as well. Glad to welcome all of you here um, in worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, as you came in today, if you're a first-time guest, hope Hopefully you had the opportunity uh, to stop at the first time guest tent on the way in. And if you didn't, we hope you'll stop there on the way out because uh, we would just love to meet you and be able to say uh, thank you and pretend we know what you look like behind your mask uh, this morning. And uh, this is a weird time to be able to come together, but we are glad uh, that you've still taken that step to come visit with us today. And we want to be able to say thank you for, for you coming to, to do that. So uh, feel free to stop by there uh, when worship wraps up this morning. And we'd uh, be glad uh, just to spend a couple moments getting to know you and your family a little bit more. Uh, for everybody who's in here this morning, um, there is a Next Steps card on your seat. And uh, these are important because they're the number one way we communicate with you as a church family. So particularly, uh, if you have prayer requests that you wanna share with us, our staff and our prayer teams come around those uh, together every single week. Um, or if you're looking at getting more connected within our church family, uh, the best way to get connected at Cross Community is by joining a community group. Uh, these are important for us. These are the backbone of our church. This is where we do discipleship, we do pastoral care. Um, this is where you build community and relationships with other people. And even with all uh, that's been happening in the world around us the last few months, our community groups have, uh, most of them still been able to stay in touch with each other, either meeting online and Zoom meetings. Some have resumed meeting in person as groups uh, have been comfortable, but we would love to connect you uh, to a community group. And so our desire uh, is that every person who calls Cross Community Home, who's part of our church family, or even if you're just learning what it means to be part of our church family, uh, our desire and our goal is that you would connect to a community group, and we hope you'll let us uh, help you make that next step. Um, last thing we wanna highlight this morning is our giving. Uh, giving is just as much an act of worship as our uh, singing, as our listening to, preaching of the word, as our serving, and our, our church family has always been so tremendously faithful and generous uh, in their giving, even in spite of the challenges um, over the last few months. And because of your giving, I'm gonna talk about these things at the end. Uh, there's a couple of great next generation opportunities that are going to take place over the next couple weeks. Uh, the first, for those of you who have kids uh, like birth to fifth grade age, younger elementary age kids, is virtual VBS. Um, never thought we would use those words, but here we are in 2020. Uh, virtual Vacation Bible School, that's going to be happening uh, next week. So parents, those of you who have kids that are connected to Cross Kids, you'll receive that via email, but also that activity bag your kids were handed as they came in this morning. Um, there's information on the inside as well. For those of you uh, who are watching online, you can find all the information about virtual VBS um, at crosskids.org. Um, just go to our kids ministry website. You'll see all the information that's there. And then also our student ministry is going to have uh, just a weekend retreat. They uh, were not able to take their summer camp trip this summer as they normally are. This trip is only $55, and that uh, trip in large part is gonna happen uh, because of your continued faithful generosity and giving. So I'll share more information about those things at the end. So um, for, uh, for your giving, most of that is done for us as a church family online. Our website's crosscommunity.org. It's really easy to set up, uh, but we do have giving envelopes available in the lobby um, as well, and so you can stop by there um, as you're leaving today. But thank you uh, just for your continued faithfulness and generosity in giving to our local church. Um, the mission of the church is very simple. Uh, it's to preach the gospel and to make disciples. That's our mission statement for our church, but we believe in a broader sense that's Christ's mission for his church. And that's the reason why we're here today. 
is to preach the good news that Jesus Christ has lived, died, risen again from the grave, that one day he is returning again for those of us who are his. And so today, we're gonna open up his word and become more prepared for the time that Christ will return for us, amen? Look forward to that day. So let's stand together. Um, Let's continue this morning in worship and we'll be opening God's word together here shortly.
Good day to those watching online. Please read with me. We'll be reading Psalm 23, 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Sin is defeated. Amen. Father, not our will, but your will. Use us for your glory. Live in and through us. May your spirit guide us um, today and every day that we are out and about. We ask that you just forgive us of our sins. You bring us into your presence as you draw us to your word to just be with you. It's a beautiful thing for us to just reflect on, to pause, to be still. We praise your name for that. We praise your name for the words that you have given us. And we pray that you just guide us today in your preaching. Amen. If you uh, have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 23. Uh, if you're not there already, uh, if you're joining with us for the first time today, either in here or online, we're in week three of a message series called Fear No Evil, where we've been walking uh, verse by verse through the 23rd Psalm. And uh, a couple weeks ago, when we got started with this message series, I gave all of us a challenge, was that uh, during these six weeks, while we study this chapter of the Bible, uh, that you actually memorize it. So as an individual, as a community group, I um, hope you've been taking time just to meditate on these words and to immerse yourselves and then to memorize them um, because in the midst of the chaos and the turbulence uh, of 2020, we want the truth at the forefront of our minds that the Lord is our shepherd and that because of this, we shall not want, we can fear no evil and we can embrace all of the promises that God has made available for us uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. So today we're gonna continue where we left off last week and we'll be looking at the second half of verse 23. Um, several years ago, uh, my family and I were still living up in the Charlotte area and um, I went to a dentist appointment one day, just kind of took some time out of work for that day and uh, disconnected, went off to my dentist appointments and loved this dentist office. They were always right on top of things and I actually drew drove uh, about 30, 40 minutes to get to them because they always did such a good job and, and, and never really had to be concerned uh, about you know, showing up and then dropping the ball with an appointment. But on this one particular day, I, I show up about 10 minutes early from my appointment. I check in. I let them know that I'm there. Uh, and then I sit down. And then about 15 minutes go by. 
and then a half hour goes by, then about 40 minutes go by, and um, so I just go to the front desk. Again, I know this is not like them, so I'm, I'm like, man, this is an anomaly. Something must be up today, and uh, just say, hey, you know, is, is there a little bit of a delay? Do you know any rough time frame? I've got a couple of meetings this afternoon, and, and she was, looked kind of confused at the front desk, looked at her screen. She was like, well, it, it should be any minute. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not sure what's going on, and uh, so she was like, yeah, just go have a seat. They should be calling you any minute. Well, then uh, another 15 minutes go by, another 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by, and, and then finally get to the point in time, I go up, and I was like, listen, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going to have to go ahead and go, because um, I've got some meetings later this afternoon. I've got a couple things I need to take care of before I get started with those, and she was super apologetic. She's like, I- I'm so sorry. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what's happening. I said, it's, it's fine. I know this isn't like you guys. I was like, just if you'll give me a call, um, we can set up another appointment for a different day, and so I get out of the parking lot and uh, start up my truck and, um, and didn't even get out of the parking lot. My phone rings, and it's not the girl at the front desk. It's not the office manager. It's, it's the doctor who's over this office. It's my dentist. He says, Taylor, I am so sorry. He was like, we are using this new system, and somehow uh, we didn't check you in. We actually put you in that you had not shown up. And and so it wasn't, uh, he's like, we're looking at a computer screen in the back of the office from what they're inputting at the front of the office. So there was just a a big miscommunication. I said, it's okay. I completely understand. That's fine. Uh, I can come back at a different time. He was like, what time's your meeting? I told him, he said, if you'll come in right now, I'll get to you right away, and I guarantee you, um, you're going to make it to your meeting. So I walked back into the office, and man, it's like I was walking into the ER. Like all of these hygienists come out of nowhere, and the doctor's there, and like they're all, there's like five people circled around. It's like a NASCAR pit stop, and, um, and it's the quickest and most thorough cl- teeth cleaning of, of my life. And the whole time, he's so apologetic. He said, I was like, listen, it, it is perfectly okay. I was like, I know this isn't like you guys. It's fine. I'm, I'm not upset. And he says, no. He says, we pride ourselves on things like this not happening. And, and we have a name and a reputation that we want to protect. And so it's, uh, you know, for good reason that this practice was always very, very busy. It was hard to get appointments there. They did have a fantastic reputation, a sterling reputation. And I, you know, was ready to, to go that day and not even be upset about it, but they were not content to let me walk because they said our name is on the line and our reputation is on the line. And when we get to the second half of verse 3 in Psalm 23, we find that the Lord, who is our shepherd, leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, before we we get into this passage this morning, before we dive in, I want to let you know right up front, um, we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. And there's a couple of truths in particular that are going to be very, very challenging for many of us to embrace about God's commitment to his own name, his commitment to his own glory. But if I could just summarize as easily and plainly as possible what's happening here in the second half of verse 3, before we get into all the scripture, before we look at some complex truth, if I could just break this down Barney style for us this morning, it would be like this. God has skin in the game. God has skin in the game. God has staked his own reputation on our salvation. He has staked his own reputation on the salvation and care of his people, which means that those of us who are in Jesus Christ can live with the confidence he's never just going to let us walk off. He's never just going to let us go. And the Lord is guiding our direction because the Lord is guarding his reputation. He has staked his name in our salvation, and we can live with the confidence that he's not going to let us go. 
But as comforting as this truth is, there's also some challenging things that we're going to have to look at uh, this morning. So before we jump in, I just want us to, to bow our heads for, for just a moment. And we're just going to go before the Lord in prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bring us uh, just to a place of humility, to open up our minds and our hearts uh, to hear some difficult truths as we understand his word. So Father, we just come to you right now, uh, this morning or later this afternoon for those who are watching later today. And we just come before you in a posture of humility. Lord, we just want to declare at the beginning of our time that we know this is all for your name and not for our name. This is for your church, not our church. This is for your kingdom, not our kingdom, and for your glory, not our glory. So Father, will you humble us this morning and help us to see and to know and to understand your commitment to your own name so that we can understand your irrevocable commitment to us. So Father, where we encounter words that are challenging, we encounter truth that is challenging, Father, would you bind the enemy away from us this morning that the seeds of the gospel could be thoroughly planted and embedded into the soil of our hearts and minds and that there would bring forth this morning understanding, a deeper understanding of your passion for your own glory and your love for your children. We ask all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's read again from Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we see first from this passage this morning that the Lord leads every step of the righteous path. The Lord leads every step of the righteous path. This theme of God as shepherd who is leading his people is consistent from start to finish in scriptures. Because all the way back to Genesis chapter 48, as Jacob blessed Joseph in Genesis 48, he refers to the Lord as the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And then later in Psalm 28, David prays to the Lord, oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And we know that he'll do this because when we come to the end of scripture, the book of Revelation, we see in Revelation 7, 17, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And Jesus, who is the good shepherd, says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And these are the two words that he speaks in invitation to all who would come after him, follow me. He is our shepherd, we're his sheep, we follow his lead. Understand, church, being a Christian is not a call ultimately to follow your heart, to follow your dreams, to follow your desires, to follow the culture, or to follow yourself. Being a follower of Jesus is a call to follow Jesus. It's not enough to just simply say, I am a Christian, because as we've seen, unfortunately, within our own country, that phrase has become, that word has become so convoluted over the last couple hundred years that it's almost completely meaningless to identify yourself anymore just simply as a Christian. Many think they're Christians simply because they grew up in church. Many think they're Christians because their parents were Christians, because their, their grandfather was a, a minister or a pastor. Many think they're Christians because they were born in the South just because they're born as, as Americans. Many think they're Christians just because they went through some sort of ritual or even were baptized or just come to a building one day a week. But the call to follow Jesus is not the call to go to a building. It's a call to follow him. It's a call to follow Christ. 
There's a, a recent study from Pew Research that showed that 65% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. And then there was another uh, poll that was done in July 2019 from Barner Research. This included elders, boomers, uh, Gen Xers, millennials. 75% of those polled in that research self-identified as Christians, but only 29% of professing Christians were identified as practicing Christians. Church, listen to this. That, that means that 71% of those who self-identified as Christians were Christian in name only. There was nothing in their life, no practice in their life that would substantiate the claim that they were followers of Jesus. And we can't mince words on this this morning. There is a term for a non-practicing Christian in the Bible. It's called an unbeliever. This is an oxymoron to say I'm a professing Christian but not a practicing Christian. The profession is always followed by practice. It's not enough to ask, are you a Christian? The much better question is, do you follow Christ? Do you follow the good shepherd? If the Lord is your shepherd, you will follow his lead. And the evidence that we're following his lead is that we are walking in righteousness. We saw a couple weeks ago that uh, the biblical term for righteousness is also synonymous with, uh, with, with justice. So to lead us in the path of righteousness, it means he's leading us in the path of what's morally pure and right and ethical and just. We need the good shepherd to lead us in righteousness because we as fallen sinners don't have any righteousness of our own. This is how the apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 12. It's quoting Psalm 14 here. He says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You have never seen that verse on a coffee mug before. Like, this is the reality of our sin. Theologically, we call this total depravity or total inability. Wayne Grudem defines this as man's total lack of spiritual good and inability to do good before God. Question eight of the Heidelberg Catechism asks it like this, but are we so far depraved that we are wholly unapt to any good and prone to all evil? And the answer is yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are all totally, completely depraved and incapable of living righteous lives. We're sheep in need of a shepherd. And this is fitting because there's not a more detailed, meticulous, like, like a group of livestock that needs more detailed, meticulous care than sheep do. Sheep literally, you're like, if you've not done any research on this, sheep will literally, if left to their own, they will wander off of cliffs. Like they'll just walk right off of the side of them and in order to prevent fields from becoming overgrazed, what a shepherd would have to do was craft a very careful plan for how he would lead sheep from one path to the next as they moved from pasture to pasture. His sheep constantly needed green grass because if a shepherd wasn't providing green, uh, green grass for his sheep and grass that they could feed upon and green pastures, then ultimately this would tarnish his name. And so he had to have a very clear plan for how he was going to lead his sheep from pasture to pasture. And what we have in Christ is someone who perfectly knows the path of righteousness because he's walked it himself. He's walked a path that none of us could ever walk. He lived the perfect, morally pure life that we could never live in word, thought, intention, deed, and action. Jesus Christ never sinned. You know, it's amazing just kind of how things work out, but with time. I typically write my sermons a couple weeks in advance, about 80, 90% of them. But then just this past week, uh, Don Lemon, who's a CNN anchor, many of you probably saw this uh, making the rounds, he was uh, talking about the, the dangers of overlooking the faults and failures of historical figures. And in order to make his point, he made the case of all the people he could have chosen, 
he made the case that Jesus wasn't perfect. And this is how he had to say, he said, Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. I'm like, of all the people you could have chosen. And so listen, whether it was unintentional ignorance or an intentional attack, the point remains the same. Church, if Jesus Christ has sinned, then the entire foundation of the gospel collapses. The whole foundation collapses. Do not take these types of things in stride when, when you hear them, because unfortunately, the state of our cultural climate right now and the, the, the shallow discipleship of American Christianity is going to leave many to just simply take that in stride and say, yeah, what's the big deal if Jesus sinned? So, so what if he wasn't perfect? Church, if he wasn't perfect, and if he lived a life of sin, then you and I are still dead in our sins. This is how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's so clear. He says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's because Christ was sinless that he was qualified to die for our sins. This is, I think, a big gap in, many, uh, in the understanding of the gospel for many of us is that Jesus did not just die for your sin. Jesus lived for your righteousness. That's what qualified him to die for our sins. If Jesus Christ sinned when he lived, then you and I are still dead in our sins. This is why we sing words like, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. There's a reason we sing things like, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We call this theologically the doctrine of imputation. And this is such a beautiful doctrine. Imputation teaches us that God thinks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ as belonging to us. This is what that means for you and I. Is that when your life is hidden, with Christ, when you are in Christ, when he is your shepherd and you're following his lead. What this means for the person who's in Jesus Christ is that when God looks at you, he does not see your past, present, future sin. He always, only, and continually sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. God sees us and he thinks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is what's been made possible for us. So when we, by faith, turn from our sin, we repent of our sin, and we follow Christ in the path of righteousness. God looks at the righteousness of Jesus, and he says, that belongs to Taylor. He says, and that belongs to John, and that belongs to Emily. That's what's theirs. That's what's been given to us because our Savior was sinless, and he's perfect, and he's leading us in every step of the righteous path. And why does he do this? Why is he leading us in righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for the sake of his name. So the Lord leads every step of the righteous path. And second, the Lord leads for the sake of his own name. Now, I, I would very much hesitate normally to say something like what I'm about to say here in just a second. But I, I hope, if, man, if you tune out for the rest of the morning, lock in here for about five minutes. Because this is one of the single most difficult truths about God to digest, but I promise you, if you will humble yourself and you will accept this truth at face value for what it is from the word of God and you will allow this to shape your understanding of God, this is one of those foundational things that will have a revolutionary impact on your understanding of God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we, we need to humble ourselves for a second, just take a moment to digest this. God's greatest commitment, church, is not to you. God's greatest commitment is not to me. 
God's greatest commitment is not to the world. God's greatest commitment is to himself. We say this again. God's greatest commitment is not to you. God's greatest commitment is not to me. God's greatest commitment is not to the world. God's greatest commitment is to himself. It has to be. It has to be, because if it's not, then he can't be God. For for God to cherish and to love and to glorify and to exalt something above himself would mean that there's something greater than him, which would mean that he can't be God. He has to be committed to his own glory. John Piper said it well, that God is the only being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is not an act of sin. For the rest of us, it's sinful to exalt something, to exalt ourselves above God. But for God, this is not an act of sin. Only God is worthy of worship, to ex- so to exalt ourselves is an act of idolatry. And the same would be true of God. If he were to love and to cherish and to glorify and to exalt something greater than himself, that means he would be committing idolatry, which would make him a sinner, which would mean he cannot be God. God has to be committed to his own glory. That's why Jesus wants to shape and lead out our prayers from Matthew 6, just like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be whose name? Your name. This is a missionary prayer. That's the ambition and the desire of our hearts, that God's name would be hallowed, that it would be glorified, that it would be exalted, that it would be honored, that it would be revered, that it would be remembered. This is why we as a church, we've, we've set that passage, Psalm 45, 17. We quote it at the end of our services every single week. We've set that as the banner above our church. And what's it say? I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations so that the nations will praise you forever and ever. That's our intention, that's the desire of our hearts, is that his name would be glorified and exalted above every other name. And all throughout scripture, we see this picture of God's desire for his own glory. We are seeing, uh, we see countless examples of how God saves his children and he redeems us for the sake of his holy name so that his name will be glorified. So I'm gonna do this just rapid fire. We're gonna look at several passages of scripture. I want you to see God's commitment to his own name and to his own glory. He speaks this uh, through the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel when they've been under judgment. He says, for my name's sake, I defer my, name, my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, and he repeats it, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Then Psalm 106, 7 and 8. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. Then through the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 20, the Lord says, I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Second Kings 19, the Lord says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then through the prophet Ezekiel again, Ezekiel 36, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name. And skipping ahead a little bit, he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Paul writes in Romans 9, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my mighty power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And then Psalm 23, that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is ferociously committed to the glory of his name. And this is a difficult truth to digest because I think many of us might hear this this morning and say, okay, who is this glory-craving egomaniac 
that he needs and, and craves the praise of people. And you and I need to understand that God does not command our praise because he needs it. God commands his praise because we need it. It's because we need it. Church, understand whether or not you and I give God glory will make absolutely no difference in whether or not God gets his glory. We're gonna study the book of Philippians, Lord willing, here in several weeks, and we're gonna see it from the apostle Paul. It's, it's coming. Every knee, willing or unwilling, is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. C.S. Lewis said it like this, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can blot out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. God's gonna get his glory. He's going to get his glory. So why does he command praise? There's a key verse for us here in Psalm 16. Psalmist says that in his presence, in the Lord's presence is the fullness of of joy. And his presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So again, he doesn't command our praise because he needs it to survive. He commands our praise because he knows that in giving him glory, you and I are going to find our greatest joy. Listen, it's, it's not for his own glory, it's not for his own praise that a good doctor writes out a prescription. It's, it's because he cares for the person he's prescribing this to. And so, so listen, we've all probably had this moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably had this moment. I know I had this moment a few weeks ago when we regathered here for the very first time and, and got to hear the voices once again of people singing. We had three services that morning. Man, I, I cried three times that morning. Same songs over and over and over. It was just a moment like I don't want to leave this moment because what's happening in that moment, if you've ever had this experience, is you are tasting what's going to happen for all time and eternity which is men, women, and children from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ, forever bringing him glory and praise, which is the fullest experience of pleasure and joy. So God commands that we praise him, not because he needs our praise, but because he loves us. And he knows that in giving him praise, we're going to find our greatest joy. Here's why it's good news that God's so radically committed to his own glory because it means he's put his own reputation on the line for our salvation. God's got skin in the game. If he lets us go, if we fall away, if we perish in our sins, it tarnishes his name. Jesus makes this, clear, this commitment clear in the parable of the good shepherd. This is John 15. He asks those listening, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. Now that we look at this through the human perspective and we say 99 out of 100, like that's a pretty good retainment percentage there, Lord. Like you're doing all right. You know, that, that's still an A on a test. But, but understand like a, a shepherd who was constantly losing sheep in the first century culture, he could build up a reputation for being unreliable. So very often what shepherds would do, even if they only lost one sheep, what they would do is they would often take, per, take personal losses to themselves. They would go hire out other under shepherds and they would say, I need you to stay here and I need you to watch my 99 because I've got to go find this one. My name and my reputation are on the line with what happens with this sheep. And Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. He leaves the 99 to pursue the one who's lost. He's always seeking out and finding the ones who are his. Jesus makes this promise in John 6, 37 to 39. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And listen, whoever comes to me, I will never. Say that word never. Never cast out. 
I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. Everybody say nothing. I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. And it blows my mind with words like this in, from Jesus in God's word that we still have false teachers in the church in America today and all over the world who would teach that your salvation is something that can be lost. And listen, I don't care how good-hearted someone is. I don't care how well-intentioned they are. Anyone who says that your salvation can be lost is calling God a liar. It's calling Jesus Christ a liar. He says, I will lose nothing of all that the Father has given to me. And and the reason this exists is because we have these very man-centered theologies of salvation that want you to believe it's all about you. That is not good news. If our salvation is up to us, church, it is not good news. It will motivate your flesh. It will make you feel like you've accomplished something. It will make you feel full of pride and full of power. It is not good news if salvation is in our hands. Our salvation is not predicated on our ability to hold on to God. It's predicated on his ability to hold on to us. And he's not letting us go. He will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him but raise it up on the last day. This is from Dane Ortland. This is, this is so good. I'm just gonna, like, man, this is so good. This isn't gonna be on the screen, so I'm gonna read it really, really slowly. I want you to hear this this morning, and I want you to rest in this. For God to de-resurrect you, to bring his rich mercy to an end, Jesus Christ himself would have to be sucked down out of heaven and put back in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You're that safe. He's not letting you go. God has staked his name and reputation on our salvation. He's never going to let us go. He's guiding our direction because he's guarding his reputation. It's not up to us, it's up to him. He's holding on to us and he's never letting us go. So as we we begin to wrap things up this morning, I wanna give us just two questions for reflection that can help you begin to discern some some next steps in your life. Like what does this look like for for us to to walk and live in this truth? And so uh, I hope this brings you here for a few moments just to some place of honest uh, self-reflection, introspection, evaluation, and then uh, go have discussion about this later this week in your community groups. The first question I wanna ask is this, what path are you walking? What path are you walking? we're, We're not asking the question this morning, are you a Christian? That question's way too easy. The question is, do you follow Christ? Are you following in the footsteps of the good shepherd? Again, you you might hear this today and think a lot of that sounds awfully judgmental. You say, Taylor, are you telling me that there are hundreds of thousands or millions, maybe even tens of millions of professing Christians who are actually unbelievers who are still lost in your sins? And my response would be, those aren't my words, those are Christ's words. That this is how Jesus says it in Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. What's popular isn't always what's right. And I know, especially like in contemporary Western American church culture, like we tend to adopt this mindset that bigger is better. Church is big. If church is growing, church, that means means things are going well, unless it doesn't. 
unless what's being presented and what's actually been created is a very wide gate that's leading many to destruction. There's so many professing Christians in our culture today live lives of just open, unrepentant sin. We, we rationalize materialism. We rationalize nominal, half-hearted faith. We, we rationalize sexual sin, and we hide behind the excuse of, well, look at what everyone else is doing. But, but nobody else is perfect, and the warning from Christ is that everyone else is headed to destruction that they're headed towards destruction and separation from God. As long as we walk the path of unrighteousness and we rationalize it and justify it in our minds in the name of this is what everyone else is doing, as long as we do that, we're just making ourselves feel a lot better about the fact that we're going to perish in hell apart from Jesus. He leads us in the path of righteousness. So the question is, is whose lead are you going to follow? Are you following the wide path to destruction? Are you content to just follow the path of the rest of the world? Or will you walk the narrow way of Christ? Repent of your sins and turn from your sins. Cease your sin and put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who has lived as your perfect righteousness for him. So what path are you walking? And second question, whose glory are you seeking? Whose glory are you seeking? You know, it's not an accident over the last couple of decades that as our culture becomes more and more self-obsessed, the more depressed and anxious we become. It's, it's not an accidental correlation. If you uh, go all the way back to really the beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 11, we, we see what's known up in, in, uh, most famously as the story of the Tower of Babel. And if you're not familiar with this story, basically a group of people has set out and they've said, we're going to build a tower to the heavens. We're gonna build a tower up to the heavens. And at, at this time, scripture said that everyone on earth spoke the same language, so everybody was working together to complete the project, but the effort grieved the Lord. And it's not necessarily that the mission of building the tower was wrong. If you go back uh, to Genesis chapter one, God gives what's uh, known to Adam and Eve as the, as the cultural mandate. It's be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so that was a mandate. Man, go, go fill this place up. Go build things. Use your hands. Be creative. So it's not necessarily that the mission of building the tower was wrong. The problem was the motivation. You look at verse 4 in Genesis 11. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And listen, and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God knew, God knew that their pursuit of their own glory would do absolutely nothing but lead them to emptiness. So he confuses their language and he brings the whole project to a stop. He from, from that point in time, they're scattered all over and, and there's this, this communication barrier. And it's just made me wonder, I mean, we, as, as, as Western Americans and, and the church has been absolutely no exception to this, unfortunately. The more individualistic we become, the more self-obsessed we become, more glory-seeking we become. I can't help but wonder during this season of the last few months that maybe the Lord has scattered this church because we've been more about our name than about his. That we've been seeking our glory and not his. And that for the time being, we don't know exactly for how long, that maybe he's bringing a lot of our work to a stop until we will return and call on his name. It's, I, I've seen this, if I'm just being very transparent with you, I you know, planted uh, Cross Community a few years ago, and as I would go through church planters training, and this, man, it would blow your mind some of the emails that come to, to my inbox from, from different marketing groups and things like that. And it's all about, man, here's how you get more people in the door. You can have 28% more people through your door this Sunday. I get that email, and I'm always first like, man, that is a very specific number. Like, how did, how did you even make up, is that what it's about? 
but just getting new people. If you'll, you'll put this many mailers in the mailbox, this many people will come. If you'll just promote this on social media, you'll connect with, with this many new people. If you'll just start this program, X number of people will come through your doors. You'll get this many more likes on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. And, and if you'll start a blog and you could get book deals and you can make a platform. And there's so many ways as our church culture, we have used the name of Jesus Christ to build up our own name. And, and I've, I've just had to look at my own heart a lot of times in, in this past, this season is, is, has just made me more in tune with this. Just say, Lord, like there's ways I've, I've made this about me. And I just have to wonder that until we, all of us individually, collectively as followers of Christ in our culture, until we come to our knees, get our knees in repentance and cry out to God and confess, we have made this about us. This whole consumer church shopping, church hopping, it's not even Christianity. It's not anything remotely close to what we find in the Bible. We've made it about us. And maybe the Lord's left us here until we turn around and make it about him. And this is his invitation in this season, make it about me again. He loves his glory. And the reason he loves his glory is because he loves us. And because he wants us to experience the greatest joy of new life in him. He's the hero, not us. Which means he gets the glory, not us. And it's because God is so committed to his own glory that he has an irrevocable commitment to us. Church, God has staked his own name in our salvation. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen away. It doesn't matter how much you have stumbled. It doesn't matter how much you slipped. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past, what you're doing in your present, what you will do in your future. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have turned from your sin. You have put your faith in the perfect life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ who stood condemned in your place so that you could be raised to new life in him. If that's you, he is going to see you through. Because his name is on the line. All that the Father has given to Jesus will come to him, and our good shepherd is not going to lose a single one of those who belong to him. And that means me, and that means you. And that's really, really good news. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we, we come to you this morning, Lord, in a spirit of confession. Father, we recognize that there are way, probably in, in, in all of our hearts and even in our own church and the, the broader church culture, Lord, that we have made this about us. We've made it about our name and not about your name. We've been seeking our glory and not your glory. And so, Father, I, I pray that today you would give us hearts of genuine repentance where we would come to the recognition that it's not about us, it's about you. And because it's about you, there's great joy that we get to experience in you. We thank you that you have guided us and instructed us and commanded us to lift our voices in praise to you, to live lives of worship before a holy God so that we can experience the fullness of joy in you. So God, give us a heart, give us a passion for your name and for your own glory. Do not let us trade the glory that belongs to you for the fleeting glory and praise of man. It's all for you. Father, I confess in my own heart, my own life, just ways that I've taken my eyes off of you and ways that our, our church has not focused on you the way that we should. Father, give us a passion for your name and your glory. Let it be the number one focus of our lives above everything else, the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. 
exalted above everything else until every man, woman, and child from every tribe, tongue, and nation has heard the good news of the gospel that they too can be saved and raised to new life. So this morning as, as we're closing today, if you know, the Lord is just working something in your heart right now, whether you're a, a professing follower of Jesus, you're just like, man, I've, just, I've slipped away. I've been, I've been walking the, the wide path. I've not been following Jesus in the narrow path of, of his righteousness. The invitation for you this morning is just to turn and to come to him and trust that he doesn't love you less because you've fallen away. He's not giving you up. He's not letting you go. He's never going to let you go. But this morning, it's return to him, come to him, find healing and forgiveness in his name. For others this morning, just if you even recognize, like, I'm not a follower of Jesus, or, man, I've been saying that I am, I've been professing Christ, but I've not been practicing my, my faith at all. The, the invitation for you this morning is, is to call on Jesus Christ in faith and be saved. Use those next steps cards that we, we've given you this morning. We know relationally things are, are hard right now. Communication's hard. Conversation is hard communicate that with us. Let us come alongside with you, pray for you, encourage you. Those of you watching online, use the online Next Steps form that's connected to this video that's on our website. Let us come alongside you and encourage you in your faith. Give your life to Jesus and do it with the confidence that he's never going to let you go. So Father, we entrust ourselves to you this morning. We thank you that in spite of all that we are, you have given us everything in your son, Jesus. That you have given us to him and he will never let us go. He will never cast us out. We rest in the truth of that promise this morning and we glorify your name. So Father, I pray in this moment that you would be glorified in the song, the praises of your people, that these would be authentic expressions and desires of our hearts and that what we sing would be a sweet aroma in your presence even now as we gather with all the saints across all eternity to rejoice in who you are. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place and be glorified now, Father, as we sing. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's stand together and sing as we close. Should nothing of our ever stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders to you.
Amen. Amen. That is a, a beautiful sound. Um, you'll have a seat here for, for just a moment as we're uh, wrapping things up this morning. Uh, a couple things I want to be able to highlight for you again. Those of you who are watching online later today, everything we talked about during the welcome, uh, online giving link is available on this video. The online Next Steps form is available. Fill those out. Uh, communicate with us. We'll follow up with you throughout the course of the week. Uh, and then for everybody in the room and those of you online, just a couple opportunities, next generation opportunities coming up. Um, again, first virtual VBS, that's going to be um, next week. So those of you who uh, have kids in the room with you this morning, they should have gotten a bag. There's some information in there. Again, those of you watching online, crosskids.org has a lot of information. But if you're on our Cross Kids uh, email list, that's going to come out to you uh, throughout the course of the week as as well. And and this is you know we've not honestly highlighted uh, as as much as we nearly should have um, the last few weeks. Um, you guys understand, like, our children's ministry has not actually stopped over the last few weeks. Like, so we can say thank you to Leandra and her team for everything they've continued to do. Um, they have. Every single week, uh, they continue to make online content available. There's been uh, lots of home deliveries for, for moms and for kids, different activities the last few months. They've found so many creative ways uh, to continue shepherding and discipling our kids, resourcing parents uh, and equipping them to do that. So make sure, if nothing else, man, just send uh, her and, and volunteers just a thank you, a text, email, uh, write them a card, take them to dinner. I don't know. You know, just be really nice to them and uh, thank them for how they've continued to serve our kids. And then also our student ministry, this is six to 12th grade, they do uh, have uh, just a short kind of uh, two, three-day retreat that's going to come up. This is uh, July 24th through 26th. You can register online. Parents, that total cost is $55. If you've got any questions, uh, Cole Forrest, our student minister, he's here this morning. He'll be out in the lobby. Those of you watching online, it's cole at crosscommunity.org. Any questions you have, he'll be glad to follow up. Uh, and then uh, just as a, a brief follow-up from, from last week, we shared uh, last Sunday morning, those of you who don't know, we do have a, a property under contract, One Hamrick Drive, just a few, moments from, few minutes from here. 14-acre uh, property. We've had our contract for a few uh, months, and uh, there was a uh, request for variance under the current zoning that we had put in uh, to the Zoning Board of Appeals. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that discussion got tabled last week. It wasn't a no, and uh, but it wasn't the outcome we, we wanted. We could have wrapped things up this past Monday, but again, as we shared last week, uh, that doesn't mean no on this property. It just means we have to go, if we're going to purchase it, a route of full rezoning, uh, which would potentially take three, four weeks. And there's a lot of nuances that go into that conversation, as you can imagine, behind the scene. So we just, uh, we're just trusting the Lord with that, that if uh, that he wants us to have this property, this is the direction that it's going to have to go. Um, so just ask your continued prayer uh, for our elder team and for those who are involved uh, in that property search and those decisions as we go forward. The good news is every group we've interacted with so far, town council, zoning board, uh, the board of appeals, everybody's all for a church going there. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out how to make it happen because, because zoning is complicated, right? So, uh, so just continue praying. It's a very nuanced discussion, very layered discussion. Uh, we'll be uh, just continue to evaluate all those options over the next couple weeks, and we'll keep you posted uh, on those things as it all continues to unfold. So um, that being said, let's stand together. Uh, let's say loud and proud that banner verse from Psalm 45, our declaration to be about his name and not about our name, and then we will sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and 
guys would read this with me just as a closing prayer. Uh, This is Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. It was so great to see you and we'll see you next week.